0: Cliffcentral.com.
1: It is a Thursday morning on Cliffcentral.com and the Burning Platform is here to address all of your issues around what's going on in the world and what's going on in South Africa. We won't say all, but we can be um, we can be arrogant enough to assume that we'll at least solve one or two of the questions that you may have about all the craziness that unfolds in this country of ours every single week. My co-host as always is Pumi Mashicho. She is here, she's armed, she's ready, she has read the news, she has paid attention, she's probably- with the pen. You've got the pen. Pummy's rearing to go. So we have lots to talk about this morning, and we are joined by two star attendees, two people who have been part of the conversation for a very long time and who people love to hear from. When I say people, I mean you, if you're listening, because we get the messages that you love hearing from these two. So the first is Litton Doba, who, of course, is joining us from the deep free state where nothing works, but he always has uh, reason to give us uh, something to laugh at, and he always gives us a lot to worry about, in fact, more the latter than the former. But nonetheless, he's a, he's a realistic human being, and he brings us lots and lots of inside info about what's really happening on the ground the other person is someone who is extremely well informed and is constantly engaging with the big issues of our time he is gabriel krauser how are you gabriel nice to see you and leotard how's it how's it good morning gareth thank you gentlemen thank you both for making yourself available to us today we've got a lot to get into um just in case you don't know uh we've we've got the, the the state of disaster at an end or is it Shall we start there Nito, what do you think? Are, are, are you feeling free now that the state of disaster has been lifted?
0: Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, so, <laughs> where I am in the part of the country, like, it's either you were strictly adhering to what the president was saying, like, all the time, wearing your mask and being a good citizen, or you weren't doing it at all, right? And the the, Velcom and the Northern Free State, by and large, you didn't experience any COVID waves. Not more than 400 people were admitted to hospital. So, COVID probably didn't really happen for us here. It wasn't a reality. So, we don't care. But I think um, the, the draft regulations that you see that are being proposed, right? A lot of people are having a problem with them. But I still see a little bit of why the rationale behind trying to extend those regulations to um where we are now so the problem is with the health sector especially in small towns you can't go directly to hospital so if mm-hmm. i want to go to hospital i have to go to the clinic first right right and then get referred to the hospital the problem is in these small towns like Velkom <laughs> is that at the clinic if 40 or 50 people default on their arvs right mm-hmm. that sticks up the line for two or three days so the people with diabetes only get their medicine three days later and they already tapped out the people who have all other ailments so the people who default then need government intervention and to be forced into their medication just like the TB defaulters. so i i get it but i'm still very cautious you know you always have to be cautious about government regulation and how far they'll try to force it down your throat i understand where they're trying to go with it but it scares me nonetheless
1: well, Gabriel, you've been writing uh, quite a lot about this, actually. You've had quite a lot to say. Let me just start off with Congo. Chris's comment, your beard is magnificent this morning. <laughs> Thank you. What so, a way to start the day. <laughs> so what, what's uh, what's your take on this state of disaster ending, or has it? Well, the the disaster has officially ended, but the lockdown
2: continues. The lockdown measures that are continuing are the 50% limit on business capacity, 50% limit on religious place of worship capacity, uh, vaccine passes for large outdoor gatherings, and mask mandates for all public places indoors. And they not only continue under the Disaster Management Act regulations after the disaster for 30 days in this transition period Lita was referring to they also sit in the National Health Act regulations that are being promulgated at this time Mm -hmm. Uh, public comment is still uh, open until for another week another seven days Um, and that would make it permanent it would literally say there are seven measures including limiting capacities at businesses and places of worship mask mandates uh, and vaccine passes as long as there are uh what's the technical term? Notifiable medical conditions, categories one, two, and three. And that includes uh measles, TB, coronavirus, novel influenza A virus, and a host of other respiratory pathogens Mm -hmm. that are never going to go away. So those regulations would literally make the lockdown permanent. Um we are fighting against that. Uh I think Lito's right to say that there that are good intentions involved here. Um, but I think they're badly misguided. Yeah. There's no scientific evidence to support what these proposals uh, aim to do. And so we're trying to stop it. We've, we, we made a submission last week against the transition um, post-disaster lockdown measures. And we'll be making another submission uh, against the National Health Care Act regulations. And various other people are are um, battling it, too, in the court of public opinion. And I'm sure many are going to be going to the Concord. Um, in my opinion, I'll finish by saying, you know, last year, we said that, in course, Zana Dlamini-Zuma, as Cocteau minister, was being irrational in the way that she was mm-hmm. dealing with the pandemic, particularly related to the elections, which she said we as South Africans are, are too vulnerable to be able to partake in during a pandemic. Right. Uh, that turned out to be completely wrong, as predicted by all of the scientists who spoke out at the time. Um, and she was deemed irrational by the constitutional court. I think she's looking at a similar
1: situation again. But what else, Pummy? What else are we going to do with her? She doesn't really have a job now that the national state of disaster's ended. What do we do with this woman? We have to pay. We have to give her a job. <laughs> Clearly, she's on the payroll. We have to find something for her to do.
3: You know, the thing I'm I'm always fascinated by is public opinions and public engagement because all of these bills says there's you, you know you, the public participation aspect of it but no one ever knows where to go for that public participation like there is no communication that says the public participation forums are at these civic centers but isn't, that on, these purpose? Libraries isn't or-
1: that on purpose for me isn't that because they, they, they don't really want our input the policymakers don't and, really want us to get in interfering in their business.
3: And that is exactly where we should be interfering. That is exactly mm. where we should be vigilant and looking out for those things and saying, where, where's the public participation in my area and showing up?
2: Unfortunately, <laughs> <never> gonna... yeah, <laughs> there, there's, no be formal, there's no formal organized, uh, uh, there's no tent. It's not like the, the EWC thing. So the only way to get involved is to find, uh, some civil society organization or yourself, just like read up the stuff, find the email addresses and then email the ministers, um, secretariats effectively. Um, I, I am happy to say that during the state, during the lockdown, during the state of, the state of disaster, we, we raised over 50,000, uh, signatures um in various anti lockdown abuse petitions those were 50,000 different south mm-hmm. africans you know it's like a stadium you could fill okay. people who came out to say we want the election we don't want people being killed by the police uh, irrationally in that horrible way that happened at the start of the lockdown we want the state of disaster to end when the uh, um actual science supports that uh and we want we want our government to act on the basis of reason i think right. One of the things that disturbs me is the fact that we've got, uh, you know, scientists like Glenda Gray, Shabir Mahdi coming out and saying that, that, that the way we are wearing masks, the cloth masks in South Africa, show no meaningful reduction in transmission. That's a direct quote from a piece co-written by six uh, scientists uh, in, in one of South Africa's news publications a week or two ago. So if the scientists are saying that... We're saying, like, what is the contrary evidence? Because I yeah. think ordinary South Africans want to follow what the experts say. But the experts with with the guns and the sticks and the shambox are saying you have to, you know, wear your mask, you have to do this, you have to do that. So the real expert should be the scientists.
1: But we've been we've been led down the garden path, and, and I'd love to hear all three of you comment on this. Throughout this thing, we've been led by people who actually Some of them admitted they didn't know the answers. I had more respect for them than the ones who claimed to have had the answers and then changed their position several times during the course of this. And by the way, I'm not talking about how new evidence might come up and that might make us think differently about stuff. But, I mean, this is a headline from ENCA this week because you remember those ribbons that they would have on the bottom of the TV saying how many people had died and how many new cases there were. And that was the way we measured whether or not we were doing well against this. It's a terrible Terrible way to measure whether or not the country is going to come out. This was an actual screenshot from ENCA this week. 685 new cases, two deaths. Now, I don't know whether that's meant to frighten people or not, but that, to me, is like a joke. When I see that, I go, two deaths? I mean, we we lose more people to road deaths on a day than we do to that, and yet we're still in a state of national disaster. Just based on logic, and most South Africans... Have the ability to logically figure out whether something's nonsense or it's true. That headline is nonsense. And people realize most of these rules are probably nonsense now. If you've got 50% of the people in a, in a venue, uh, which can accommodate an, another 50% of the people, who would try to kid? Corona knows the difference between 50% and 100%. It's outrageous. This is just an insult to our basic intelligence. You know, South Africans know how to calculate taxi money. We know how to figure out what the price of petrol is. Don't insult us by telling us that 50% the virus treats you differently. The people eating at the restaurant don't have to wear masks, but the people serving the food do. It's kind of outrageous. And I think maybe that's the reason that people are, have had enough. And they, in places like Velcom, they've never listened to Cyril in the first place.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the the one thing about South Africa is whenever anything happens, we love acting from places of fear, right? That's our default corner. Remember, even with the HIV pandemic when it started, mm-hmm. the first way to try to get awareness out of people was to keep them afraid, put them in this fear place, and then only do we want to act. The same thing with COVID, right? Um, Those statistics, that, that ribbon at, at the bottom there was a fear-inducing um, banner, right? And so that's why, even like when, when you follow it up, all of those deaths, all of those hospital admissions, and then when you look at places like Valkom, Odendal's List, Kronstadt, there's like one, six, three, four. And so you are like, wait, in the greatest scheme of things, of the 1,000 people in, in Valcom, why is the whole of Valkom then like people used to were, were lined up outside of malls in order to get serviced? And I'm like, but it's only four people in hospital. Why are we standing in a line outside of a mall? And so you, you think about it and you're like, oh, but fear is the one thing that was used to drive us um, into being safe in this pandemic instead of information. Because I think information would have been better than putting me in a state of fear when pe- for only four people were in hospital in Belcom with this thing.
1: You agree with that, Pumi?
3: Huh. I do think, and this is the thing I was alluding to earlier with public information, one of the things that our government doesn't do...
1: Pum's you're frozen. <laughs> on the word information. Uh, one like, of the things our, our government doesn't do, All right, so, Gabriel, you pick up the slack while we wait for Pumi to come back on this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally... I sympathize. And especially because I spent uh, a lot of time in the free state um, where it did often feel like a very different world to to sort of Sandton or Cape Town. Uh, there was handshakes the whole time. <laughs> and I think part of the reason. Yeah. But here's part of the challenge. Right. I think a lot of South Africans have figured out you don't have to follow the rules. Um, I smoked cigarettes the whole way through *Dlamini Zuma's uh, saliva on the paper* story of banning cigarettes, and I definitely <laughs>
1: saliva on I the paper. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that thing still, still makes does, me laugh. Know? Hang on, Pumi's back. Pumi's back. Sorry, Pums. <laughs> we lost you there for a second, Pumi. Just, I don't know
3: what happened. I just looked up in my internet. I, I just went. All want,
1: gone red. No problem. I went. All oh, you you had. We had
3: i had a welcome experience
1: <laughs> i want uh, gabriel to just finish his point about saliva on the paper and then we'll we'll go back to you Pumi, and what governments sure. do and then you froze so let's go back
2: <laughs> okay thanks yes yeah, so i'm just i think that south africans have figured out that if there are bad laws or laws that don't really seem to make sense then most of the time you can easily break those laws mm. and there won't be any consequences and i get that and you know i i where I live here, like everyone walks in and out of the mall and the restaurant without putting on a mask. They've just given up on on yeah. pretending to follow the rules. Yeah. Here's the problem. We do live in a country with major crime issues, with major criminal justice issues. And the law, we need to respect the law more. That does also mean the law needs to be more respectable. That's why I'm kind of inclined to to say take some of that rebellious energy and channel it Towards the politicians to change the rules so that they are more respectable, so that we can focus on actually fixing the bad behaviour that we need to fix.
1: Yeah, I don't think I disagree with any of that, but I'm I like a bit of a wild west scenario. I mentioned this to Pumi a couple of times ago on the on the burning platform. It's like one of the things that makes South Africa exciting for me. Having just travelled to via the US to Mexico, Mexico is a lot like us. They don't care. They don't have rules. But in the US, everybody they queue americans love to queue they love the rules you got to get the stamp in your passport got to make sure all your papers are in order you have to have the covid test before you have to have the covid test after you have to be vaccinated all of these things and the rest of the world really like south africa isn't as cut up about this stuff and it's it's one of the things i like about the place but as you say gabriel if you ignore one law then you really are willing to ignore all the laws. And what what stops the country from descending into complete chaos? Back to you, Pumi.
3: No, I, what I wanted to say is what we don't do very well is we don't do public information campaigns. You know, one of like the most famous uh, public information campaigns is that dumb ways to die. You've seen it, right, Karen, <laughs> mm-hmm. in Australia. Mm-hmm. We need stuff like that because people yeah. need to be, taught and told what what to do because we're, we're, we're not reading the um, judgments coming out of the constitutional court yeah. or whatever. We're not reading that stuff. So we need to be able to communicate on a mass scale to people and not fear-induced like what Lietta was talking about, but rather just communicate the don't letter You know, they used to be like put it in the ZB can or whatever but that's one of the things and and also you know gabriel talks about south africans are non-compliant by nature but also like do people really know what the rules and the bylaws are and what all of those things that's why we need the public information you know that's what gcis should be doing just like let people know
0: yeah. No. Um, and also, I just like to digress for just two seconds. To tell you a funny story I'm experiencing in my life right now. So, as far as Gabriel is talking about the law, so there's a new way to extort people who work in the township, right? Somebody would do something wrong. You go stop them, and then they'll fight you, and then let you beat them up, take you to court. So this guy, <laughs> he's beating a little boy. No, no. Listen, is- he's beating up a little boy, right? I stop him. He pushes me and he fights me. I'm bigger than him, so I beat him up. He takes me to court. In the mediation period, when they say, no, 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 you guys go talk about this outside. It's just common assault. He says, oh, no, I'm willing to drop the case. This guy must buy me a cell phone. (laughs) So that's the new way. Wow. It's a shake. I'm literally... Wow. I'm moving out of. I'm moving out of the township. I'm going. I, I've already told you guys all how I romanticize the township and how I want to inspire little kids. No, I'm done. I've stayed here for too long. If people are going to extort you for cell phones, while well, they did something wrong, like they don't even bother to get witnesses or anything, they just want to get mm. to the mediation stage of the court case and why then ask you for something.
3: But why Babad?
0: No, I. You know what he was doing? He was beating up a little child, right? Yeah, I stopped him. Right. Yes. And then he starts pushing me in the face and doing all sorts of things because he was trying to cash in. He saw the mo—he saw his moment to say, oh, new cell phone coming. An employed person
2: is going to fight me. And so... Yeah. Dude, I, dude, I like hyped. that as a category. Imp- an employed person. Here comes an employed person. Yes. No, no, <laughs> like no. A-
0: Six <laughs> of my friends are going through the same thing. We're all going What's to this? court each one individually and somebody's asking somebody asked um one of my friends for air max um sneakers um his mediation was last week And said mm. no 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 A pair of air Maxes. i'll drop the case you'll be fine you don't have to come to court anymore because they know when you're employed you can't keep going to court over and over again so they shake you down like that they use the law to get stuff out of you
2: so i'm leaving I mean, that does sound very American, like the the American stereotype of like the dude who like slips on his skateboard in front of the car. And then he's like, oh, my neck is so sore, mm. but,
1: ah, just give me some money. Oh, except except in worry. this case, it's not lawyers and civil law. This is like no. uh, this is this is ordinary people being extorted for doing the right thing. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's,
0: yeah. So you got to love South Africa. But also, I think the desperation that comes with this period that we're in of of high unemployment is going to be very very scary i mean i'm just this week there have been 10 break-ins in the neighborhoods adjacent to mine so we're going to that place we are get get ready
1: so little while we while we're talking about um the the stuff that you're bringing to the 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 show this morning you wanted to mention spangile Mani's case and that sentence um, we, we're talking obviously about someone who was given that money from um, Nisvas and then she went and spent it. And I actually went into a whole thing last week and I got huge amounts of like opprobrium from my audience because I said, this is a young girl who's now going to go and spend time in prison. Obviously, she broke the law, right? And obviously, she stole this money, 800,000 rand of the money that wasn't hers. She must have known she's going to be punished. But there was this rich businessman um, uh, who wanted to Malcolm X who wanted to pay five hundred thousand of that money and maybe reduce her sentence for a little bit? This is a girl who was studying at university she she might have had a future ahead of her now she 's going to go to jail and become one of the underclass for the rest of her life she 's never going to get out of that and we have this system where we are unbelievably cruel. It goes back to what we 've been talking about so far we 're unbelievably harsh and cruel to those at the bottom of the pyramid who have no means of of finding alternate ways, and I'm not saying breaking the law or or avoiding the consequences of their own criminality, but we seem to go really hard on drug dealers and on people who are petty thieves and that kind of thing. While those things need to be punished, the people who steal billions from the coffers seem never to even be charged, let alone sentenced and go to jail. We have this inverse situation in the country. Is that where you were headed? Because that's what I'm feeling about the Sibongilemani thing
0: you know like um our just the justice system right should have other avenues other than just prison time and strict yes. prison time yes. right where is the restorative justice part of our our justice system because this girl has an honors degree right mm-hmm. and so you think about it and you're like so how how are we how are we trying to use her man chain her to a desk somewhere in some department and let her work it off right but Why are we imprisoning somebody? Why are we sending her to... Because literally, the prison she's coming to is in Kronstadt. Why are we sending this graduate to a prison in Kronstadt for five years and thinking that when she comes out, she's going to be a better person, right? Because right now, there are avenues that that you could use for her. But you don't use those. You're sending her to five years imprisonment. And people don't understand that prison in and of itself... Is the harshest place you can send a person to because of Definitely. the nature of what happens in these prisons, what people become and how they treat each other, right? It's, yeah. You go to jail, it's animalistic. You have to learn a new way of living. You have to learn new languages, new ways to survive, new ways not to die. And so she's not going to be learning how to become a better person. She's just going to be learning how not to die and basically how to be part of the criminals in order to be a chameleon and she might adopt that for the rest of her life and that's what we're doing that's that's where we are right now and i'm so upset because many opinion makers were celebrating it somebody even said oh by trying to ask for 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 a more reasonable sentence for her it's a sign of our moral decay in south africa really this girl is a sign of our moral decay Everyone else is a sign of our moral decay. Mm-hmm. The person
3: I yeah. <laughs> mean,
1: The second count, right?
3: The second count only has to pay half
1: mm-hmm. the fine. Yeah. Yeah. Suspended. Okay.
2: But can That's I say? Moral decay. Can I try and defend? Okay. So the person who said that was Mandli Makanya, a great. Oh, I think an important editor in South Africa, and I think that there is a good point there. Um, when I think about our criminal justice system, probably the thing that offends my citizen sensibilities the most are the number of people that are facing detention without trial okay Mm. like in that sense apartheid is not over um i I, unfortunately my laptop is resting on the institute of race relations survey books which have these statistics properly and i can't quote it off the top of my head that well but literally tens of thousands of people have been sitting in jail without having the opportunity to go to court um for for months and months on end and some people like hundreds of people if not thousands literally for over five years yeah are sitting in oh, jail um awaiting their court date i can that I, is outrageous
1: i can speak to that for with, someone with... who's
2: been convicted to go to jail four years let it get reduced to two years sure i, I don't know i hear you like i want to be sympathetic but i and i and i, think I, I can
1: I can speak to this 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 awaiting trial prisoner thing it was the most horrifying part of my visit to hosimampuru prison when we did a a broadcast from there i brought this up like three or four times in the last week in connection with the spongy money case um the awaiting trial part of the prison is the most terrifying because they actually share like four people share a bed right so you have four people Mm -hmm. who are taking rotations on those beds they are living in the most cramped conditions even imaginable it is animalistic, as Lieto says, you're going to come out of there a much, much worse and more dangerous person than you go in. It is absolutely appalling what people have to go through. Remember, those are people who have not yet been sentenced. As you say, Gabriel, they have been in jail for sometimes up to five or more years, waiting for their court date. And we are treating these people worse than animals. We're making their lives an absolute untenable misery. From beginning to end, and I don't see how this is going to benefit society in any way. That is probably the most ugly situation we've got, and it's going on in all the prisons, not just in this one. Just
3: in case you didn't know how old I already am, in 2001, just coming out of film school, I worked with some guys who did a documentary, and I think you can find it on YouTube, called Waiting for Justice, and it was exactly about this, mm-hmm. about the waiting trial prisoners. And this one was shot mainly in Sun City, in Deep um, what, what do they call it now? I think they call it jo- Johannesburg. But
0: something. still, Sun City—that's the common name. Yeah, that's what people call <laughs> San it. Sun yeah. City
3: is the common name. But I mean, the documentary was harrowing. I was <laughs> young then, 2001, and just. All of those interviews, all of those prisoners watching that kind of depravity, waiting for justice, if you want to see it. It's an interesting documentary. All In right. 2001 already, this was a problem.
1: All right, so Here let, we are, let 20 I've, years later. I've let you have, have your say on, on uh, the Spongi Lemani thing. I, I want Gabriel to give us his say on... Transnet and ESCOM are appealing for exemptions from the BEE criteria. Now, isn't this ironic? I mean, two government parastatals saying this BEE thing, it's not really helping us to operate properly. How long until we stop with this FAS, which is really just an enrichment scheme for the very, very connected uh, members of the ANC, that we call BEE because then it makes – All the the black people who have no opportunity in this country feel like they've got maybe a chance somewhere, but they don't.
2: Yeah, I think it's... uh, Well, look, let's quickly go through the background, which is that uh, Afri Business, otherwise known as Sarkalika, challenged the regulations promulgated by what I like to call our honest communist, Praveen Gordon in 2017, when he was um, finance minister. And those provisions said the following, basically. Mm. You're not even allowed to bid if you don't have enough BEE points. And the effect of that is you're not even allowed to name your price, is that we, the, the government and the public no longer has an ability to see to what extent is BEE costing more, because some bidders are not even uh, involved in the process. The Supreme Court of Appeals struck that down as completely unconstitutional. The Constitutional Court agreed with the Supreme Court, although on a more narrow basis of reasoning, and that created the situation where all of the regulations for procurement for the huge, for hundreds and hundreds of billions of rands of government spending every year uh, as part of their, you know, 2.1 trillion budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might even be a trillion rand of spending. That the, the, the Dondo Mohajane, the director general of treasury, he said, now we don't know, can we use BEE or not? Mm-hmm. So you are not, so I'm giving you the advice not to buy anything. He literally said, we must rather basically grind the, the whole government to a halt, excepting still pay salaries, but like not fix any machines, not replenish any coal or diesel, not like do any of the hard business of supplying new textbooks to schools yeah. and universities. <clears throat> cancel all of that. If we are not allowed BEE, we're going to cancel all of that. We as the Institute of Race Relations said that's outrageous. The minister, Enoch Korongwana, is empowered by law to offer exemptions to any organs of state that ask for those exemptions on the basis of it being in the national interest. If the only alternatives are that you can't buy anything and grind government to a halt or buy it without BEE, it's clearly in the national interest to buy it without BEE. We added in that Raymond Zondo's report our new chief justice on state capture said that there's this basic tension in the law. And he said, the the national interest must be in maximizing value for money and all Organs of state should be so advised. Hmm. So Enoch Gorunguana, uh maybe heard us, uh, certainly ESCOM, Transnet, and now Sanral heard us. The first two appealed, uh, applied for exemptions, uh, Enoch Konungwana granted those exemptions. And so they've been going on with new no <clears throat> procurement business without this um, sort of layered cookie-cutter, race quota thing. Um, Here's. And, and we think that's good for ordinary South Africans because taxpayers have no race. It's, you know, we're all paying taxes, those of us who are, as Lito said, in the employed person category.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and, and so we need to get best bang for buck for that cash, also so that there's more cash to help out the needy with social grants who really need it. Okay? And, 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 for, and most uh, really poor people in this country are black. Um, so here's the problem. While there's kind of some progress at the moment, uh, Treasury has just tabled new um, regulations uh, under the Procurement Act, which would kind of undo some of this. Right. At the same time, Parliament has passed the Employment Equity Amendment Bill, EEB, which is that thing that Ramaphosa has been promising for a long time, more aggressive BEE. Yeah. What the EEB would do is it reintroduces the pre-disqualification criteria, so you can't name your price if you're too white or something. And secondly, it gives the Minister of Labour, Tulas Nklesi.
1: No, no, he's, uh, no, no, he's, he's just moved. Tulas Nklesi's just moved. No, he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved. He's got he double roles. He's got two now. He's got but two. the oh. tiers.
2: Yeah. But, so he still has the power. I hope. Uh, maybe he's getting a double salary. Nice for him. He's got the power to set race quotas nationwide for the private sector. And. If you fail to hit those quotas after like the second or third offense, the 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 offence, the, the, oh. the, the, the penalty climbs up to 2.7 million rand or 10% of annual turnover. Jeez. Now, there are going to be small business exemptions, but for medium-sized businesses or small businesses <laughs> that have done well and, and gained jobs and grown and then they can't uh, hit the quota, which he can set at his own discretion, it's basically going to drive them bankrupt. It sends a big... You know, a uh, bugger off kind of message to local and foreign investors. It really does nothing for the 17 million people on grants or 29 million, depending on how you count it, for all of the unemployed South right. Africans. It's, uh, it's really, really unfortunate. We're campaigning against that too. We've got like 15,000 signatures against it, and we have. Uh, made a commitment to to use all the legal avenues. We believe we can take <coughs> it to the constitutional court using Zondo's arguments, using previous court precedents, and strike it down. But it's a difficult battle, and I think that if we lose it, it's really, really going to cost South Africans
1: harshly. Well, well, Peter says, I think this is so great. Peter says, B E B triple E in this case is expensive racism, <laughs> which I think is an interesting <laughs> way. To... What do you What do you say to this, uh, Pumi? You go first.
3: I'm, I'm stuck on the honest communist,
1: but honest communist. What's having that? Having
2: said that, well, he's not personally corrupt. I was saying. All <laughs> oh, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I take it back.
3: Um. I know, but I I think
1: this is by know, the way. This is got to be the only show. This is the only show where you get punished for giving someone a compliment. <laughs> 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 Carry on, pumps. Mm. the. the,
3: the You know, the thing that we have to accept is that, and we spoke about good intentions earlier, even though there were good intentions in putting all of these um, regulations and rules in place, what it has created is we sit here today with South Africa being the most unequal society in the world. Yeah. And with all of the regulations in place and... That's why I'm saying to you, as you say, honest communist, I think uh, Trevor Manuel, Robin Gordon, all of those guys are to blame for where we are. They have created, and they and they are creating the most unequal society in the world. So, Trying to make those policies more strict is not going to solve our problem. It's gotten us in the problem that we're in right now, you know? Well. So affirmative action, <clears throat> I, and I, I'm a beneficiary, right? So affirmative action worked at some point, but the horse is dead now. We need something else. Hmm. We need something else. Yep, this... We don't need more of the same thing that's gotten us into this problem.
1: Right, and that's what Muzi, also... Muzi Kozwayo was saying just last week on this show, and I would, I would refer anybody who wants to hear what he said to go and listen to the podcast, because it's very well put by, by you and and Muzi Pumi. Um, and, and what makes it worse is that this unequal society was already unequal to start with, and instead of making it a bit better, they've made it a lot worse.
0: Yeah. Also, the middle of nowhere perspective of all of this, right? The Valcom perspective. So, the mayor actually heard Um, the IRR2, our new mayor who can't read, but he's trying his best. So, he um, he went to white businessmen and said, um, you guys seem to be thriving in Valcom, even though the situation is bad. Um, here's some government participation. We're going to help you Um, help us. So, let's put our partnership together and Take service delivery to the people. White businessmen come in, take tractors from the government, and say, "Okay, we intend to use this and our labor force to help you with um, cutting fields and fixing pipes," and then proceed to go to the to only the white areas and not to the black areas. So the white areas of welcome, are looking good, and mm-hmm. they're still smiling here in the bushes. So Jeez. it's 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 so it's a, so annoying because everyone is just nobody really tries to come together and nobody's yeah. making an effort. And I think that's the, like these corners, we love to put ourselves in white businessman, black businessman, illiterate mayor. All of these are just compounding awful. the problem. Yeah, And the poor people are coming. That's my fear that they are getting restless. And one day we'll be, we'll, we'll be writing exposés and saying, but why are they rioting? South Africa is coming along so well. So I'm just uh, always depressed, but ever hopeful. <laughs> I,
1: don't know. I don't know where to pick it up after that. That's, that's just unbelievable. Okay, but uh, th- there, is, there is something we started talking about this morning with uh, J.J. Cornish in our African analysis and about Rwanda and uh, you actually wrote about Rwanda on Monday Gabriel um so let's just let's just look at Rwanda because it's this it's this dichotomy it's being held up by some people to be this paragon of you know kind of lawful um and 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 rigid and and dutiful <laughs> african behavior and this is how the best the best leader in the continent behaves, but he's actually at the same time this really, really iron-fisted dictator who doesn't allow anything nearing free speech from either side. It's a, it's a very interesting case study because those people in South Africa are always calling for the thing we started this discussion on, more rules. And we have those people in South Africa, you know, if they just had more rules, if we had the death penalty, then there wouldn't be so much crime. Those people, if we just had everybody being checked every time with their IDs and their passports, if we just threw out all the illegal immigrants, all those people, right? Those are the people who say, oh, more rules. Then you get a Kagame and it's not a pretty picture. And then the there's no who... such thing as a benevolent dictator. Right. Then there are those people who say we want no rules and you end up with a Burkina Faso. So we, we're st- Stuck between these two horrible extremes, what is your feel on on Rwanda uh, you're on mute uh, Gabriel there we sorry are. about that yeah, go for it
2: so I, um, I I spent some time in Rwanda as a teenager uh, my sister worked there for a couple of years and this was, was post sort of advised, this was
1: post the, 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 the civil war
2: uh yeah sort of a, a twelve years after the genocide okay. and I I I was lucky to go and visit her and um actually during genocide memorial week um which is an unusual time because it is a time where public debate is is more tolerated mm-hmm. um it's difficult I mean I think it, it 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 is very difficult the the most harrowing experience that I had there was was going to a little a school a technical school outside of Butare mm-hmm. where Just as we were having our election in 1994, literally on the day, I think it was on the day that the IFP sort of said, okay, we'll get on the ballot, which effectively ended the people's war. And those stickers were being put there. And it's like, uh, okay, suddenly the political deaths are coming down and and, and we are going to go forward with this uh, this election. Just at that time, in Butare, 50,000 people had hidden out because it was like a little university town. And they're told the Hutus are coming. So they went to hide in the school, but it was a trap. And fifty thousand were killed there. Ten thousand escaped. They were then killed in a church. And there were so many, um, there were so many dead bodies that that the there was literally this fear that the the carrion, the the contamination, the rotting cadavers were going to poison the water supply and make it impossible to farm there for years. Oh so they God. chalked those bodies in lime to preserve them and buried them in a mass grave. Uh, with with bulldozers i mean fifty thousand bodies a lot of space and then after the genocide they were exhumed and had been laid out throughout the school like you know hundreds and hundreds of classrooms a massive school on on these benches all of those bodies laid out and every day these two victims one who was shot through the head and you can still see the divot in his skull but the bullet you know he's like one of those free cases where it didn't kill him and the other one who managed to crawl out but his entire family they, they re-chalk all of those bodies every afternoon. They oh go and God. do two rooms to get through the whole cycle every year and a half. And the one guy who who, who can talk better, the one who got shot in his head is a bit... Um, struggles to talk. Uh, but the other guy, you know, he's like, why do you do it? He says, because everyone that I know is here somewhere and I can't recognize him. So I know that I'm touching my wife once every year and a half by going through and chalking this. And in the mornings they Jesus. they take to to kind of contemplate it. It is... Something to dwell on, um, because it's a, because it's an exceptional, um, it's an exceptionally difficult uh, human facet. Mm. I think that if you if you contemplate how how heavy and how serious that is, there is some room to to um, I don't know maybe expand the scope for some tolerance for for harshness. I certainly you know think that it's very important that Rwanda gets less and less harsh. Um, you know, Germany after after World War II also started out a little bit more brutal and, and managed to soften its way up. There, obviously, there's an East-West difference as well. Mm. So, so mm. I've got some hopes for the trajectory of Rwanda. The reason I wrote about it was that there was this uh, study done by Professor Mukant of Warwick University through the Institute of Advanced Study at Princeton, which is where Einstein was, um, where he went and looked into Rwanda uh, into places where they're getting this radio station, which gives out government propaganda, which says, look, we are not Hutus. We are not Tutsis, We are not Twa. We are all Rwandese. We need to kind of stop defining ourselves by our race and, and and really get on as, as a nation together Mm -hmm. and move forward. And then they looked at the villages because it's such a hilly country that don't get that radio signal. And they did these deep psychological tests, trust games with strangers, um, you know, uh, uh, social salience tests where you basically see a picture and a quote, uh, and then five minutes later you test. If someone can't remember who said it, do they at least remember he was a Hutu or a Tutsi? Or if they can't remember, they completely forget. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did these kinds of tests and they found people listening to that radio station trusted each other as much across races as within races. Whereas people who weren't listening to that radio station still had a much stronger in-group trust within their races and across groups, a a very high distrust. So what I find interesting about that is it does signal to me that nation-building, I mean, as they put it's the first qualitative study to show that, like, government nation-building propaganda can actually work at a very deep level. I think that's important, not because it should encourage more harsh rules, exactly the opposite, not because it should encourage the government to go and do this, exactly the opposite, because it should encourage ordinary people to engage in that kind of thinking with one another in public. Wow. Leave the government out of it because they, have, they are going to get it wrong. They're going to be procrastinate, they're going to use an iron fist. And ultimately, yeah. what that means is they're going to crush the opposition. When what corrupt you... people are doing bad things, you need a good opposition. But ordinary people can partake in it. And what do you think of that, Pumi? Me? Really I mean,
1: that's, that's powerful stuff.
3: Listen, nation building. And that's why earlier, when I was talking to you guys about the fact that we need more constant communication about all of these, that works. It works, right? Mm. America is a, t- is a case and testament for that. Nation building and and communicating to people what what you what you want them to be like, how you you know what the the ideal state yeah is works like this, but. But Paul Kagame has been the president of Rwanda for twenty one years, yep. guys. And <clears throat> and the problem with that is that people become complacent, right? So when you are in a position for too long, as we see now with our current government, is people take it for granted. This is and and his brutality, his brutality on against his people is Unmatched. So if you're in Rwanda, if you're, if, you're, if you're in the capital city, everything is great. But just 10 minutes outside of the capital city, people are living a completely different life. That is the problem. There is no such thing as a benevolent dictator.
0: Um, and I think also Africans, black, white, whatever you are, we all love the hardman leader. We do. We love them. <laughs> You're right. And it, it's it's annoying because at the end of the day, the the people, right? I also agree with this thing that the people are the ones who do. But sometimes these leaders are so influential to the people that they they assist us in building the bridge, the 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 fences that keep us apart. I'm part of this rainbow kid generation, right? The first ones who were brought in together in grade one, two, three, right? And I learned how to talk across. I learned how to speak to white kids, to Muslim kids, Mm -hmm. to different kinds of kids, and build my worldview. And that's where my spirit of trying to find more information about others in order to be more efficient in communicating with them comes from, right? right? And my tolerance for other positions. But the problem is, if you come to places like Velcom. The leaders then become more and more influential in helping you build the fences. All the blacks are coming. Um, These ones hate you. Um, Mm -hmm. These ones put you in these positions. And so literally somebody in Valcom has never interacted with white people except when they go into their shop. They've never sat down and spoken together. They've never sat down and discussed the issues that the town is going through. And so our illiterate mayor can still mess everything up and nobody really holds him to account because we're not united. Accountability only works when a united people tell you you're wrong. If other people still have hope you're going to be right,
1: but, then... But, but, Lito, you know what? We have a perverse incentive structure for our politicians because we want them to represent those parts of the whole which are diametrically opposed. We want the EFF protesting outside the Rupert farms because for the people who like the EFF and don't like Rupert, this is their this is their, their lodestone. This is what draws them. For the people who like Rupert, it's like, oh, those EFF protesters, those are the white business people. So we want to splinter ourselves off into these different groups, and it benefits the politicians. Because for them, the more they can divide us, the the more unhappy they can make us about each other, the more we're likely to go and vote for them because we hate each other.
0: But there's it's a soap hope opera. Hmm. Yeah, but there's hope. They are eating each other alive right now. So yes. Like I said, yes. whatever happens whatever happens in these small towns will translate to you guys in the big cities later. Mm-hmm. So the big issue that's happening in the free state right now is that they are all renewal. Everyone is renewal, right? The youth league are fighting each other on mm-hmm. a weekly basis, trying to steal branches from each other. Now, the one thing that happened to unite the youth against the old people is that they took an SABC journalist from the ABFM and made her the spokesperson for the premier. And the youth stopped biting at each other and are all saying the premier must go and old people, were tired of you. <laughs> and so the problem is they're starting to do to each other what they did to us. So the young unemployed people had always been crying that, guys, but you guys, this is nepotism. There's a problem with what you're doing. It's cronyism. It? And they will say, no, but you just need to be accommodated, just sign the form, right? And now they're doing that to each other. And so that is where the ANC is starting to slowly unravel from even its own tales that they tell each other, right? This through the eye of the needle fable yeah. that uh, Frigil and Balula sort of put forward. And so that's where you're going to start seeing the ANC. They're going to start to generationally eat each other now because... The youth are tired and the old people are authority.
1: And I'm proud of us for having avoided assiduously uh, Cyril's uh, boring provincial conference that he had this week because I don't think anything <laughs> of any value. None of us, uh, If please correct me if I'm wrong and jump in here if you want to, but none of us really regard that as being a seminal or interesting discussion at all. It's all about the survival of the <laughs> ANC and nobody's it's really not- that, in, no one's got that many dogs in the fight for the ANC anymore. You know, right?
3: you know the thing that we keep Um, distracting ourselves with when it comes to the ANC is there are a lot of people that think we are unable to vote against the ANC. And the reality is that people don't have a problem voting against the ANC. What they do have a problem is They don't know who to vote for on the other side. So Mm -hmm. they stay away from the polls. And this is something that, you know, like the opposition parties don't like to talk about this. But when you have 25 percent of people who are eligible to vote showing up to vote, the problem is not just Mm. in the ruling party. The problem is also what are the alternatives? Mm -hmm. So people just don't show up to vote. And yeah, this is like, the problem with democracy, right? Is it's the rule of the many who vote?
0: Yes. <laughs> like, that's the main criticism to the, to the opposition. I was telling them here to say, none of you can beat someone who can't read or write their name. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the guy who won here. That is some indictment.
1: I mean, that is really embarrassing. Sure. And uh, I told
0: them, exactly. I'm saying the, the problem, leave the ANC alone for two seconds. Stop telling them about their faults because you're just telling us how weak you are. Don't tell us they're thieves. Don't tell us they're illiterate. They can't write. (laughs) Don't tell us about their faulty deployment policies. What are you doing that the thieves are beating you? Why do people trust thieves more than you with their vote?
1: Ah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. I couldn't agree more. Okay. So anything you want to throw in as a last uh, thought here? Because it's not often that we have uh, Lieto and Gabriel and Pumi in one show. So go ahead. um, Pumi, you could go first and we'll close off with our (laughs) guests. No, no, you go first. Anything you want to throw in that was valuable, interesting, that you thought needed a comment for this week? Usually Pumi's the the, the one reading the state capture reports and things. So she does all the deep diving. Well, because
3: we are patiently waiting for volume four.
2: Mm. It's still
3: not out. It was supposed (laughs) to have been out, I think, seven days ago. Here we are.
2: Maybe there's some editing. Some very sneaky editing is happening.
3: Here we are. But they did send out a statement saying that they realized that it is late. Um, But it is coming. Can we just be patient? But also, yesterday, what did the NPA put out? Jacob Zuma is finally going to have his day in court starting on the 11th of April at the Peter Marisburg high court, because now he's exhausted every appeal, right? He tried to throw out the the prosecutor. He tried to get the judge to recuse himself. Mm -hmm. He's exhausted every appeal. He is finally this thing that he has been wanting for years. His day in court is finally upon us. Next week, mm-hmm. on the 11th of April, it all begins. Open court. Mm. And it's going Ay, to be
1: televised.
3: Bambezela! we got to get going. God de e be- bambezela. <laughs> <laughs> He's been asking for this day, and here it is.
1: All right. Careful what you
2: wish for, hey? Yeah. <laughs>
1: all right, uh, Gabriel, what are your final thoughts?
2: Um... <clears throat> I interesting thing about uh, American politics, uh, this Black Lives Matter report, yes. uh, I, I was reminded earlier, uh, $6 million house mansions <laughs> just being exposed, that they were kind of trying to keep <laughs> off the books, uh, fallout between Patrice Cullors and Opal Tamedi and, and Tanya Kana, I think is her name, mm-hmm. is now disassociating herself, she was a former leader. Uh, An interesting story kind of speaking to what Lieta was saying about the ANC eating itself uh, happening with that fresh organization there. Um, I think that the, I'm kind of disappointed in some of the JSC uh, discussions about the next constitutional court justice nomination. All of the social identities coming out there. You know, one of the judges saying you should choose me because I'm white and there's not enough whites. One of the judges saying you should choose me because I'm a lady and there's not enough ladies. I really don't care. for that kind of talk um but but uh, i'll finish off by saying the government is getting in your face uh literally uh and it wants to do that forever uh with a mask mandate that i think <laughs> is symbolic of so many other things and if we can if we can knock that one back um i think it'll be a nice a nice look it'll be a key win for no. Other regulations that are really harming business in a very direct way and making it hard. You look at India, Argentina, Brazil, Turkey, so many other countries that lost jobs during the pandemic. All of right. those jobs have come back and more. Right. We are still one million, one point nine million jobs down. We really have to get South Africans back to work. It's very, very serious, and I think that the that that, that knocking knocking the masks off our face uh will will be a good useful step for that so yes i'm i'm All a right. campaign guy please go to irr.org.za and and sign up to free your face
1: leto you get the last word
0: Yes um as always from existential crisis land um it's <laughs> we're, we're we always love. the best of us right <laughs> We're always the best of us and i think um you know just to leave you with my, my confusion right now um i'm tired of the township and the people and the poverty but on the other hand, my lawyer is a young man. I mentored through my debate program. I helped him get into university. Um, I he's hope he's not charging day. you. So, he's not
1: charging you for this.
0: He, no, no, he isn't. He isn't. He's, he's a great young man. <laughs> okay. And so you, life is always that dichotomy. The good you put out will always come back to you. Um, we need to put out that positive energy. We need to force the good we want to see in the world. And I think we'll always be better for it. Always mm-hmm. fight for what you want, for what you need, and justice will always come,
2: no matter what. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, let's hope so. I mean, even if it takes as long as it's taken Thomas Sankara's uh, killer to go to jail, huh? that just shows you. Yeah. 39 years. Yep. So let's end on that note. Some of us may not be alive when justice comes but we can only hope we can only hope it will um pumi thank you very much lieto thank you very much gabriel thank you very much and we will see you guys soon this is the burning platform cliffcentral.com we will see you tomorrow morning bright and early at six o'clock cheers have a good thursday
0: cliffcentral.com